All righty, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of some rare petrol content. Today, we have, I believe, the fourth episode of our Industry Leaders Spotlight series. Today, I am joined by Joe Nahama. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Thank you. Of course. Joe Nahama is the CEO of PetroRock LLC, which operates acreage in Santa Maria, California. PetroRock is associated with Vicaro Energy, which has production in California, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Texas. Mr. Nahama has over 30 years of experience in the oil and gas industry and has degrees in geology, petroleum engineering, and a certificate in finance. Joe and his father founded another ENP company and can provide insight for entrepreneurs and industry professionals currently navigating the oil and gas landscape. If you'd like to learn more about Joe or contact him, we direct you to petrorock.com, spelled as is, lowercase no spaces. And uh, I think it's about time we get into the interview. Let's do it. All right. So first, the background. Where did you come from? How did you get into industry? When did you start a business? When did you become a leader? Okay. Well, those are great questions. I, I, think, I'll, I think this will say it all. I don't know if you guys can see this. Oh, That's, no, of course. Is that, that you? Is me. That's <laughs> me. I'm four years old, and my dad has just drilled a gas well in Sacramento Valley. And my mom is holding me, and you can see the, how safe everything was in the 1960s. <laughs> But, uh, but the, but so I've been in the oil business all my life. My father is a geologist, is a geologist because he's 88 and he's still working at home. Um, and I, you know, on my summers growing up, I'd be on a rig, I'd be doing something in the field. Um, and I went to high school. So I grew up in Bakersfield, California, which is, uh, you know, a lot of oil and gas in the San Joaquin, Sacramento valleys. I, uh, so I got a lot of exposure to the industry and, and I, my undergrad, I went to UCLA to be a geologist. My father went to UCLA, so I kind of followed it in his footsteps and I was in a geology, in ge the geology curriculum. And while I was there, downturn number one, 1985 <laughs> hit. So, um, because of the downturn and the lack of jobs, uh, coming out as a geologist, I went to the Colorado School of Mines and, and uh, worked on and received a master's in petroleum engineering. So, and luckily by the time I got out, the downturn was just about over. We had our first Gulf War and I went to work at Union Pacific Resources. So I worked in Texas and luckily for me, they were trying out a new technology in 1990 called horizontal drilling. And we were drilling horizontal wells in the Austin Chalk in South Texas. And so I got to be a production engineer, got a lot of exposure to that. And after a few years, went back to Bakersfield to work in the family business because my father had a, a independent oil and gas company. And so I was uh, an engineer for my dad. And then it was a public company and oddly enough, the company, a group of stockholders took it over and they let, uh, they took it over and declared bankruptcy. So my father and I left and started our own company. <laughs> and we were, um, we started a company called NNG, which was the exploration of oil and gas. We did that together for nine years through some downturns in the, fi the, fi the financial crisis of 1997, 98, that was a bad one. That was a bad one. And um, trying to sell our uh, oil and gas prospecting ideas. 
Um, move going forward. I, I worked with my father in 19, you know, nine years about, but my wife, who also went, is a petroleum engineer from Colorado School of Mines, we wanted to start a family and have a kid. And about that kid time from the hum of natural gas, I got fired by myself. So I fired myself because I needed a salary. So I went and I got a job at Vaquero Energy in 2002. And I've been here ever since. And in the meantime, at Vaquero, we got a group of investors together and started another uh, company called Petrorock. And I've been uh, involved with Petrorock since 2008. And I became CEO of Petrorock in 2014. And so here I am. That brings us to present day, huh? Yeah. It seems like you've been pretty involved, like you said, your whole life. I think I read somewhere that even in high school, you would go over logs for 50 cents an hour with your dad. Yeah, I did. I did. I, I did all my dad's filing of logs and every 50, he paid me 50 cents an hour. We go over them. And that's when I, uh, I always wondered why my dad would just stare at the wall and all these pieces of paper with squiggly lines. And he was just looking at logs, looking at what to, um, where to drill, mm -hmm. putting the puzzle, the, the puzzle together. And is that something you do today? Is that primarily what you do for Petrorock or have your responsibilities changed over a few decades? You know, so, and then what you kind of, I'm, we're jumping ahead because you're kind of, we're jumping into my advice for younger kids. But <laughs> one of the things, but when I went on my own with my father, I learned multiple skills and the multiple skills included geology, which I do now. As a matter of fact, right before this interview, I was looking at some places, some wells not performing. I'm trying to figure out why geologically. Did engineering, but I also started doing land work and I did regulatory work and, I, and finance work. And so I kind of broadened my skills to do everything. And that helped me at the time in 2002 when the oil price was about 20 bucks. The the gentleman, the owner of Vaquero Energy, Ken Hunter, I was attractive to him because I had so many skills. All of a sudden he hired me and I could plan the wells to drill in 2002 and do all the land and lease the wells and permit them all through the, I was kind of a one-stop shop. I think I was underpaid. <laughs> Maybe then, but hopefully not now. So yeah. you did kind of allude to it. You've been through I would assume what seems to be a few downturns because you have numbers for them at this point. You started with yes. downturn number one. So what is the difference between those downturns and what we're seeing today? Um, the down, you know, today it, it seems, uh, I'm going to start with today's downturn and then reflect on the others. Today's downturn, of course, caused by the pandemic and a lack of, of demand because of the quarantine. And we're seeing, we're seeing the demand come back, obviously. But I think what also what we're gonna see is in this downturn, we kind of come up to a certain point and plateau because there's 10% there's 10 per, 10 of the economy is missing. The whole travel industry, the airlines, you know, a lot of that, that's severely uh, restricted compared to February. So that, that's, it's going to be interesting how long this takes us to get out of the downturn. And it reminds me of the downturn of the financial crisis in 2008, where things, you know, just crashed rapidly, uh, you know, big fall off. And then 
they came back, you know, within a year, things had been, came back to a, a position that it, it never got back to the peak because uh, everything was overinflated in 2008. But we got back to a respectable price level where we could make money. Today, you know, we have a lot of factors with the Russia and OPEC and all the production and the shale producers in the Permian. There's just, there's a, a lot of supply can turn on in a, in a second and that caps the price. So that's, that's one of the big differences of this downturn. And it, I think it feels more like the downturn of the, the 90s. It just, we just, for a year, almost a decade, just wallowed in low oil prices. Not not enough to cause any major exploration, and you know, just you just got enough just to eke by on, with your production. It was tough. So then, are you pretty optimistic, say a year from now, or are you kind of taking the stance that maybe prices will creep up forty five, fifty, and then level or even decrease because people are starting to sell whatever they've got in storage? Um, I think I think we'll see the the and maybe I'm influenced too much by the the forward price curve because I check it often. So you know I I really see that there's just a lot of supply we have to eat through. It's very similar to um, when, when the prices fell in 2014, into 2014. You know 2015, 2016. It just took a few almost two years to eat through all the supply, get into balance, and then. By the end of 2017, we actually had prices that were, you know, we were making nice profit margins. So in terms of present time frame, what is PetroRock doing to try and navigate these waters? Have strategies changed significantly? Have you huddled down? Or are you making big plays? Uh, right now, the, the, during the initial shock, so let's go back to March. I think I, I, we tried to focus on four things. We tried to focus on our people, make sure they're safe. Because you know, the, we just wanted to not understand, we still don't quite understand COVID, but you know, we wanted to make sure everybody was safe, uh, everybody had a safe working environment, and, and continue producing. Um, so that was our first challenge, and I think then keeping, we, we really leaned out our production operations, uh, cutting costs where we could. Um, we, and, then, and then we looked at the markets. So when, when, so, and we, do, we were calling the refinery every week. Are you going to be able to take our oil this week? And we, we would, luckily they kept saying yes, because we produce heavy oil and they use uh, for diesel. And diesel uh, demand was actually, there was some heartbeat to it. But there was a lot of producers we know in California, the refineries were canceling their contracts. There's just no, no demand whatsoever. So we were just, would we have somewhere to sell our oil? So we kept producing. We, and then finally, the biggest thing was preserve our cash. Our company, we don't have any debt. So we, my goal was, to, and, and I save money for the off chance that we have a problem like this, but more for abandonment liability and a, and so we had cash, and, the, and so my goal was to preserve our cash, like everybody. Oh, and those, that. You'd be yeah. crazy if you weren't working towards that. Yeah, yeah. So those are the four things. Mm -hmm. What kind of things do you think may come out of this downturn for the industry? Do you think we're going to see new regulations, new standards on a federal, local level, or even international? That's a good question. You know, California already is very, is highly regulated. 
um, we we already are seeing a lot of different regulations and and so I imagine there's going to just be more you know more regulations we'll see what happens with the upcoming ele elections but I I believe there is a, you know th there is a um, there's of course everybody knows there's a push to decarbonize our planet and fossil fuels are one pathway to decarbonize and so there's there are going to be a, a lot of regulations yeah so there are going to be headwinds absolutely uh-huh kind of building off what you just said do you think the energy goals for even states like california or even countries across the world shooting for 2030 or 2050 are just out of this realm of possibility do you see that's too aggressively phasing out and focusing all the energy portfolio on things that aren't fossil based or is there potentially hope um you know i i think that's hard I, you know i'm a i that's hard to speculate because you know really you know being an engineer and if you if we're given an, an incentive and when i say that the incentive might be hey we have to we're going to have a a, we, a carbon tax we're already taxed for our carbon in california and these incentives may I'm gonna take an alternate view. They might dr drive a petroleum engineer or someone in our industry to look for different ways to create energy, to, to utilize fossil fuels. So whether, you know, right now our world, of course, the wealth of people uh, depend on fossil fuels. Matter of fact, most people immigrate from places with a very low carbon footprint to a place of a higher carbon footprint. So fossil fuels drives that, but maybe what I think is maybe the people in our industry have the brain power to figure out something new, figure out how to decarbonize. For example, the last year, the Nobel Prize winner, uh, I, forget, I guess for science, I don't know, but he was uh, Exxon Mobil engineer from the 70s uh, that came up with the lithium battery. He figured out how to, to make it work. So there's definitely room for compromise and everyone to grow. So that's, yes. That, yes. that is uplifting I, at the very least, but you kind of dipped your toes into advice already, kind of aimed towards younger, new engineers, maybe recent graduates. But do you have any advice for entrepreneurs maybe trying to push, position themselves as these depressed prices recover? Um, I, you know, one of the, in my past, if, if, if being an entrepreneur, um, each downturn, it seemed created an opportunity at the time I didn't know it. And at the time I was depressed at the time, there's a lot of uncertainty and you want to push the pause, but a lot of uncertainty, push the pause, button. you don't want to do anything. However, each time there was a downturn, it shifted my life trajectory in the positive. Okay. When, when, when I, I got out of school at UCLA, downturn number one, I said, I can't, I can't get a job. I'll go to Colorado School of Mines. That was fantastic. So I did that downturn number two in the 90s. I, you know, nothing, no one can, I can't find anything to drill. Nothing's going on. Well, at the same time, the, the Chevron in, in California, they weren't doing anything. So land that they would never, ever farm out, all of a sudden they were farming out. So we got a big farm out and we discovered a bit, we made a big discovery on that acreage. Uh, another downturn number in 2008 led to Petrarock. 
when everything went down, there was nothing to work on. And all of a sudden I was just scanning, looking for opportunities. And I found this heavy oil area in Santa Maria, no Texaco had left behind. So we went in there, leased it up and, and we went from zero to about 1200 barrels a day with, I think we have about 45 wells. So, so we, we, so there's always, there's opportunities. It's being uncertain makes everybody want to pause, but you, you, you have to keep looking and, and gather ideas and, and especially from bigger companies that they have different priorities. So they might have things that you could do a deal with. All right. In relationship to those priorities, obviously you've highlighted just the volatility and how there are options to be taken that will benefit you. Mm-hmm. What do you think will happen for companies that may be over leveraged, say, unlike PetroRock? Does that allow for opportunities for those smaller companies and new entrepreneurs, or will the bigger companies come in and take the majority of that market share? That's a good question. That is a really good question because a lot of, um, uh, want to see how that, cause it's, it, it is different than the past downturns. Cause a lot of the past downturns I was dealing with Chevron's and the big companies that had good balance sheets. Now you're dealing with, uh, companies that may be private equity backed or highly leveraged and the, uh, bond holders are now might turn into the equity holders and how they divvy up lands or asset sales that may that might look different than it did in the past so that is a good that we'll see going forward but but if they're lower priority projects that you think you can do i there's there's still a chance to talk to these people but it might be after they go into bankruptcy that's that's a tough one so time will tell on that one huh Mm -hmm. yes and then going back to recent graduates like myself or young people who are Mm -hmm. trying to get that edge it seems like one of the best things you advised was take pretty much any job you can get. Try to make yourself well-rounded and a valuable asset. Any other things to build off of that? Yeah. So, yes. So, so going back to, so I have two things and that's number one is layer your skills. Learn. I, I constantly, and my, and my kids think I'm an idiot, but <laughs> constantly <laughs> learning and doing stuff. And they're, dad, come on. I just want to play Fortnite. But, uh, you know, really it's, it's, it's this constant learning of skills that whether, you know, it, I, I, um, drew a lot of driving. So I, I learned a, a lot about finance. I learned a lot about, um, you just current events, statistics. I'm very interested in AI and how we can apply it in our small oil field. So layering those skills. So constantly do that. If you're young, the second thing I would say, if you're young, is i don't know um if you ever well it's coming on disney plus here it is <laughs> your your disney plus in july the movie hamilton and uh, why do i say hamilton so the movie hamilton there's a song in the in the movie or in the play i don't know if you saw the play or how many listeners saw it but there's a point in the play where alexander hamilton is negotiating with thomas jefferson and James Madison, their their foes diametrically opposed. And what there's a song that comes on, and that song is "Be in the Room Where It Happens." And what happens is those Hamilton, Jefferson, Madison, they go in there, they negotiate. Where Hamilton wants to change the banking system in the United States, 
and Jefferson and Madison just want to put Washington DC in Virginia. So they agree, but they, the only reason, if you listen to the song, the reason they agreed because they were in the room where it happened. And that is one of the things I got to say to all young engineers, all anybody is be in the room where it happens. There was a study done at UCLA. It was, uh, it's the 73855 principle. When you, when you go and email someone or text someone, you're just giving them words. That's, that's 7% of someone's decisions made on words. 38% is made on the tone of their voice and how they sound. But the most impactful thing for getting someone to make a decision or, or recognize you is 55% is being present. They can see your body language, your, your emotion and your faces. And I think that's really important for people to put down, not always just use phones and texts and everything. Pick up the phone, go meet in person, and and use, you know, you if you have these, you have skills, everybody has skills to talk and be personable, use those with someone. And and I think you will be able to get more of what you desire. I would have to completely agree with that. I've applied to so many jobs and positions on LinkedIn's Easy Apply. And then it gets dumped into a pool of 400 other applicants right. and it's hard to differentiate yourself. So if you can exactly. walk in the door, make an impression, that's definitely something great. But Absolutely. back to that first point, differentiating yourself, always learning. What is your opinion? Maybe moving forward, sir, say someone is in high school listening to this, pursuing, thinking about pursuing a degree in petroleum engineering. Do you think it would be viable to go through a formal education or maybe start self-learning, just get into the field and try to expose yourself? Clearly, there's cases to be made for both, but what will be most valuable? Well, I, I'm going to, let's take the pandemic aside, you know, forget, let's say, let's say, let's go with the scenario that you can go back to, actually, mines, uh, we have some neighbors, um, they're going to, mines will be having classroom education next in the fall. Um there's one thing about going to the mines and being there instead of studying it yourself is you get to interact again, you get to interact with your professor and your students and you're kind of brought to a higher standard. And I, and I noticed this with my children doing distance learning. Once they were distance, you, you don't have that, that same standard and you really have to have a big internal drive to do that. So, Going to get a formal education would be wise. And then, and then the, the one thing about the oil industry, they always, you know, I'm sure the price, let's do another scenario, prices recover, they're in the $50 range. There's, there's internships, there's opportunities that you don't get unless you're going to a formal petroleum engineering curriculum, a school with it. So definitely need to establish a balance of both, but education is a good way I, to get in the know, door. Yeah, I, that's my opinion. But you know, there's, there's, it's been many years since I went to school. So maybe things have changed. Uh, tuition's changed for sure. I've read yeah. some statistics about tuition back from the 80s and 90s that sound a lot more attractive than the options they have today in this past Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I think that about wraps up everything we had to say. Is there anything else you want to speak about or promote? Um, no. Uh, I think, I think we just, we gotta, we gotta, I, I think the one thing I did learn, I mentioned the downturn, my second downturn in the nineties. And that's when I grad, I went to uh, and mines prior to when I got there, the classroom size, they were in the, you know, a couple hundred, maybe 
to 250 kids in petroleum engineering. By the time I got there, the senior class was 28. Mm-hmm. So it really had whittled down. Um, my people that I graduated with, because I, I actually had to go through the undergraduate program too. A lot of the people, we, we were just, there was kind of this missing segment of engineers. They, you know, there was just so few engineers. Now come fast forward to today, people in my range, age range, because of that downturn, there's just not many of them. So you, you learn, you stick with it, you go, because there will be, the oil business is volatile. It will go down, but it will go up. And if you're positioning yourself well, you might be there when it's time. I think we were talking about that, I think last week, that if you take the class size and plot it with um, oil prices and offset it about three years, they match up almost perfectly. But with really, that three-year yeah. offset, yeah, yeah. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, classes are certainly getting smaller next semester. I know a lot of kids under me who were transferring out of that major and they're going, Oh, oh really? I don't know how you do it, but I'm excited to stick around. I want to be <laughs> one of the remaining when things do get better. So yeah. Hopefully I can continue to learn and round myself like you've described. Yes. Yes. So, I, so thank so. you again for taking the you're, time to come to us today. You're very welcome. If you need to learn more about anything that Joe does or his business, go to petrorock.com, all lowercase, one word. Uh, We really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Until we see you next time, everyone, take care.